Hello and welcome back to Cover to Cover and to the third of three podcasts about crime fiction and the Swedish crime drama Verlanda. This time we will be talking about series two and series three. In the previous podcast, we pointed out that one of the features of this drama is an arc of disappointed love that runs through each series. You'll remember that in series one, the love arc between Linda, uh, Kurt's daughter, and Stefan ended tragically. And uh, Kurt himself had a brief but unsuccessful romance with a woman who suddenly appeared in his life. In series two, in the very first episode, a new prosecutor takes up a position in Ishtad. Her name is Katerina. She's divorced with two children. She's intelligent, slim, attractive, some years younger than Kurt. Kurt, by this time, has bought a house by the sea. Indeed, in the very first minutes of that first episode of series two, we see him and his colleagues tipsily celebrating the new house and his colleagues presenting him with a handyman's toolbox. Well, the new prosecutor, Katerina, ends up renting a house just along the beach, not far from Kurt, which obviously brings them closer and provides lots of opportunity for socialising outside work. But as so often in Valanda, the romance does not proceed smoothly. They are colleagues, and Katerina, who is recently divorced, is never convinced of the appropriateness or the desirability of a real relationship. She likes Kurt, she's fond of him, she admires him as a colleague, but she is never really ready to cross the line into a committed relationship. In the final episode of series two called The Witness, Kurt and Katerina find themselves up against a very nasty and unscrupulous individual, a man heavily involved in the use of black labour and who has connections to corrupt officials in a number of local councils, one of whom is busily manoeuvring in order to obtain subsidies from the EU. And when this unscrupulous man is put on trial, he does not hesitate to use threats of all kinds to silence witnesses and to deter people from testifying against him. The pressure on Katerina becomes intense, forcing her to send her two children back to her ex in Stockholm because she's worried about their safety. And eventually, Katerina decides that she can no longer pursue the case. She is too scared 
and she resigns her post. This means that she is leaving Ishtad and Kurt's hopes of a relationship again come to naught. But it's not just the fact that she is leaving physically. Her abandonment of the prosecution in the face of multiple threats creates a barrier between her and Kurt that cannot be bridged. Kurt is not the kind of man to give up, whatever the threat. He is a genuine stoic. As for Katerina, she has her children to think about. She has, as she says, a life beyond her role as prosecutor. And in response, in one of their final scenes together, Kurt says to her, I have no other life. Series 2 also introduces the excellent Nina Zanjani as Isabel and Svera Goodnison as Pontus. And the two of them, slowly, over the course of that second series, in contrast to what happens to Kurt, they will find romantic happiness. In Series 3, Linda returns, played by a different actress, Charlotte Johnson. Linda is now happily married with a child and she is quite different from the turbulent, questing, impatient, luminous Linda of series one. The new Linda is married, she is settled. She and her husband and their lovely daughter, Clara, represent a pole of domestic stability and calm in a violent and often nightmarish world. Indeed, for me, Clara, Kurt's granddaughter, is one of the stars of Series 3. The first episode of this final series, Series 3, is based on another book by Mankell called The Troubled Man. And once again, it refers to real historical events, this time the hunt for Soviet submarines in the Swedish fjords in the early 1980s. Meanwhile, Kurt in Series 3 has a new love interest, a woman called Bea, who is a teacher at Clara's school. However, as Kurt's feelings for Bea develop, we discover that he has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. There's, an, for me, an unforgettable scene towards the end of the third episode in that series where we see Kurt taping photos onto the wall of his wardrobe behind his shirts and trousers hanging there. In other words, out of sight, because he doesn't want visitors to his house to discover these photos. This is the reason he hides them behind his clothes. They are photos of the key people in his life, friends, family, 
Bayer, colleagues, etc. And he writes their names and tapes the names beside or below each photo so that he always has a visual reminder. As his Alzheimer's develops, obviously he fears that he may not recognize them. And indeed, in that scene, we see him hesitate with the name Nyberg. He is no longer sure to which photo he should attach it. As he told Katerina at the end of series two, Kurt has no other life than his life as a policeman. This life has energized him, but it has also worn him down. It has cost him. It has consumed him. I suppose we can say that this is another arc of disappointed love, that his life ends also unhappily with this diagnosis of disease and forced resignation. If he shares his medical diagnosis with his colleagues, one of whom is his daughter, then obviously his career must come to an end. And he just can't face doing that so soon. With Bayer, he fails to respond to messages. With Linda, he starts giving excuses for missing family evenings, afraid that he will betray himself. Of course, the condition interferes with his work. It creates danger for other people, in particular in the episode called The Arsonists, and it interferes, obviously, with his relationship with Bayer, who becomes increasingly confused. And eventually, Kurt will step back from that relationship because he no longer feels adequate. Many people have commented on the landscape shots in Valanda, the stretches of open fields, the woods, the lakes. But for me, the more important natural feature is the sea. As we have commented in Series 2 and Series 3, Kurt lives beside the sea. So what does the sea represent, so to speak? On one occasion in series one, Linda goes windsurfing or sailing. And in series two and series three, on a couple of occasions, Kurt does swim in the sea, but not with much joy. He plonks himself in and makes a few strokes and gets out. Of course, the dog, Juicy, named after the Swedish opera singer, Juicy naturally loves the beach and Kurt and Juicy frequently walk up and down the beach. And this is obviously a moment of restoration of the spirit of balm, of rest and repose after the dangers and the stresses of working life. Once in series three, Kurt and Juicy happen upon Bea on the beach after she has been for a swim. So I suppose that the possibility of the sea as a 
repair mechanism does exist. And indeed, on occasion, Kurt looks out at the sea from his patio and it looks soft. But in general, it is not a sea that sparkles. It's more often a rough, choppy sea, a dark sea, sometimes dark blue or dark green or grey or even black. It's a relentless sea. Occasionally a sea that soothes and reinvigorates, yes, but more often a sea that rolls towards the shore from a dark place. The waves keep rolling in incessantly like worries, like the evils that lurk beneath the surface of civilized European societies. Ferries continually cross this sea, bringing people, bringing freight, also bringing crime, bringing blackleg workers who will be exploited, bringing young women who will be trafficked into prostitution. I remember when I was a teenager in New Zealand, I swam in the sea throughout the year, winter and summer. And to me, the sea represented health and freedom and laughter. But the sea in Valanda seems much less cheerful. Indeed, it makes me think of the poem Dover Beach by Matthew Arnold. If you look for that poem online, there's a stanza in which Arnold describes the pebbles being flung onto the shore by the waves. And then he talks about ancient Greece and says that Sophocles heard in the sound of the sea the turbid ebb and flow of human misery. And then there are some lines, but now I only hear its melancholy, long, withdrawing roar retreating to the breath of the night wind down the vast edges drear and naked shingles of the world. It seems to me that Kurt Wallander has been battling manfully for a long time, but he has been exposed to human greed and evil for so long that it has eroded him the way the sea wears down a rock. In the previous episode, I mentioned Inspector Morse of the British TV series and commented on the resemblances between Morse and Valanda. Both of them are flawed human beings with poor diets and a problem with alcohol and a love for opera music and classical music. Both are consumed by their work. Both are worn down by it. Both are lonely men who are unlucky in love. And yet there are differences. It seems to me that Philander is a kinder individual and more, more compassionate, more tolerant, more aware of his society. And yet the stress and disillusionment that inhabit 
Kurt Verlander, seem to me to be of a sadder and heavier variety. After all, Morse drives around in a shiny red Jaguar and enjoys confronting the dons of Oxford with his own cultural elegance and intelligence. At bottom, Morse is reasonably content with his flat and his collection of music. That flat is a haven of peace for him. And while Kurt does enjoy his house beside the sea, he does not drive a Jaguar. He drives whatever is available. He has no intellectual pride, just a desire to stand against the horrors, the evils and the harmful prejudices that surround him. In the final episodes of Philander, it is no longer possible for Kurt to conceal his Alzheimer's and his relationship with Bayer begins to collapse. Kurt is left washed up, washed up like a piece of driftwood on the beach. He still has his granddaughter. In fact, she now has a little sister, a baby. But his career is over. And meanwhile, the waves continue to pound the shingles. The sea continues to bring in fresh shoals of problems. Valanda is a Swedish achievement. Written by a Swede, acted by Swedes, brought to the screen by Swedes. It's a Swedish triumph, one of the great crime fiction series, in my opinion. And it's also a jewel of European culture. I personally have spent most of my almost 30 years in Europe, in the Latin south of the continent. And of course, the way people in Portugal or Spain, Italy or France behave and talk and express emotion is very different from the way they do it in Sweden. And yet we all share a common European culture. I feel close to Henning Mankell, to Krista Henriksen, to the character Kurt Verlander and the other wonderful characters in that series. Their stories resonate strongly with me, as do their values. (laughs) 